Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we're going to talk about Lemuel's least favorite movie of all time, maybe, The Exorcist, uh, released the day after Christmas, 1973. <laughs> I have a choice. This episode will be released three days later, three days after its 50th anniversary. An anniversary? I think it's an anniversary. Birthday? Mm. I don't know. So, The Exorcist. We're going to talk about it. I don't think we're going to talk about it long, because you know what, you guys? There's not a lot to it. Right. Okay, so, you didn't do a lot of research on this movie, because you were like, let's get it over with, I want to be done. So, coming in, you would not seen this movie. I hadn't seen this movie, and growing up in a church, you hear a lot about things like this, and stories, and about actual exorcisms. And so it always sort of put me off, and I had had the opportunity to see it a couple of times in the past. I wound up seeing the tail end of a cut that was edited for just standard cable. Oh, wow, I can't even imagine. That's Yeah, and... and so there's no uh, scenes of Reagan at all then, I would imagine. Uh, no, there's barely anything. There was just very quick cut. I'm like, well, what is this film about? What's all the, the big deal about? I didn't realize at the time that it was cut for cable. So when I did come, that did get uh, brought to my attention, I realized I had not really seen this film because so much of it is profanity-laced. And um, the imagery is really at times revolting. So it put me off. I am uh, old enough to remember not the first release of the film, but... Yeah, you were four when this movie was released. But finding, uh, hearing stories about people who'd gone and seen the movie and uh, almost on dare at times and how it caused such a horrible reaction with audiences. There are people who um, came out of the theater sick or having issues like vomiting, things like that. And then also it could have been, and that was a joke that a friend of mine who's a former Jesuit or who trained for the, the priesthood had told me, it's like, yeah, the, the exorcist was a recruiting tool for some people. Wow. Absolutely unexpected. It's so many people uh, entered the priesthood as a result of watching this film, possibly because it kind of both demystified the priesthood, which it does very well. And that's true. And on the other hand, it also kind of makes them very heroic, which it also does. I suppose. Um, at least in the case of one of the two priests. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so it's just been... I I've, I haven't been looking forward to it because I know that there's... Uh, I think you described it as a bag of ick, because there's all sorts of uh, little things I don't like. Body horror, I don't really like. Blasphemy, I don't really like. And this is like so many of those things. Sometimes at the same time. Yeah, often, really, (laughs) at the same time. So what was your history of this film? So I've never seen it, Mm -hmm. um, but I have, through cultural osmosis, seen basically all of the things. Like, what surprised me in the watch, A... It's beautiful. Right. Like, other than the, the like, gross body horror stuff, uh-huh. it is shot beautifully. Yes, it is. Uh, the things that surprised me. The things that I knew about the movie, which were, like, five things. Her head spinning around, the vomiting, the uh, desecration of the... Um, crucifix. Right. Your mom sucks cocks uh, in hell. Right. And was there even another one? The power of Christ compels you. The power you. of Christ compels you. Those are the five things. Y'all, that's it. That's the movie. Right. Like, I expected there to be way more. And the movie kind of set you up to expect there to be more because when 
Father Merrick gets there, Merrick gets there, they say, oh, the last time he did this, it took months. And I'm mm. like, okay, well, we're just settling in. And then it was like a day, maybe. I also thought that the 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 title referred to Max von Sydow's character, mm. Father Marin. It does not, <laughs> clearly. It refers to, quote, the younger priest, who mm. is a grown-ass man. Like, I had heard that before, and I thought he was, like, in his 20s. I mean, mm. He's not. He's, like, in his 40s. Doctor Or Father Karras, who was nominated for a supporting actor award for this which, which is, is strange because the film rests bonkers. on him if yeah he's the leading man in this right. movie not just because he's the most prominent male mm-hmm. actor in the film but because this movie is about right. him this movie is about him and the mom uh chris mcneil uh that's really who it's about reagan is in 15 minutes of the movie Probably. Um, she's, she's she's maybe visible. Make that twenty or twenty-five. I don't know. Yeah, sure, maybe. It, but like certainly a quarter of this right. movie, like a full three quarters of this movie, does not have her right. in her in it. It has to do with her, but she's not on screen. Which is why it's the Exorcist. <laughs> it's almost and as not... if you can uh, do a Bechdel test. How many scenes are, are or do, do any two characters meet that aren't talking about Reagan? <laughs> yeah. Well, right at the beginning. There's an opening scene that I don't know that doesn't really have. Right. So, anything. do you want to go to the description? Yeah, we can because it's, it's it, there's be not pretty very quick. much. Yeah. Right? Uh, we open with Lancaster Marin, who's played by Max von Sydow, who at the time of this filming was 43 years old uh-huh. or so. He is aged up considerably by Dick Smith. Right who basically is the grandfather of old age makeup. Like, he's a fantastic makeup artist across the board, but mm-hmm. he is known specifically for his old age makeup, to the point where Von Sydow had trouble getting work yes. after this because they assumed that he was in his 70s when he was, in fact, there, Literally, there were casting agents asking, well, should we get Von Sydow? Well, he looks like he's about to fall over. Yeah. Will he last the, the, the duration of our production? Yeah. We have a tight schedule. And, and he's a, like, I'm 42. Right. <laughs> he's a very, if you watch other films, if you've seen the Bergman movies and things, he's a very vigorous kind yeah. of physical actor. So to He's think a vigorous that, actor, kid, right. and physical. Like yes. he, it's not just the makeup. His body movements right. really get across an age. And Dick Smith's makeup job is also so fantastic because if you look at him now, if you look at Varsito now or at the end of his life, he's mm-hmm. passed now, he looks like Dick Smith made right. him look in this movie. It's remarkable. Dick Smith is very much, I think, to to that generation, and he was actually one of his mentors, he's very much like Rick Baker is now. Right. In that he's venerated because he's able to do these fantastic strange transformations on actors. Yeah, that and, are realistic yeah. looking on film. And he did that both, he worked both with uh, the aging makeup for Father Marin and also on Reagan's very strange kind of... Yeah, which is, that makeup is really interesting. We'll, we'll talk mm-hmm. about when we get her fully possessed. My question though is, mm-hmm. why did they cast Max von Sydow and then age him up? I have no idea. I think it might have been, if you remember, William Friedkin did uh, when he was doing. Um, he he was a big cineast. I and guess. Friedkin was the director of right. the film. We, we, uh, say, we yeah. talked about how he was casting people for the French Connection because he'd seen them in foreign films and really mm-hmm. liked them. So that could have been how Max von Sydow wound up being okay. cast. Because to me, mm-hmm. it was almost like if you'd seen the movie Prometheus. Mm-hmm. 
and there is an aged-up Guy Pierce for no reason. And I, the whole time I was like, is, are they going to de-age him? My like, understanding is, that, is be... that, that, that what I found out later, he was going to be in several scenes as a younger man. Oh, and, and then they those just scenes cut all got that. Because the film, if you remember, was wound up being quite long. Yes. Yeah, and he tends to make... Right. Very long things. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because I was just the whole time <laughs> yeah, I'm watching I know. it, I'm like, why? Yeah, well, what was the... Have they aged him up 40 years? What's happening right Next now? one's seen out too. Uh, for those of you who don't really know him as an actor or know him mostly from the Muselix commercials, which is another thing. Needful Things. Yes, Needful Things. He was a very... He was really good at playing this kind of person who's tormented or... Put upon. Put upon. Right. I mean, he played Christ at one point of his career. He plays the devil at the other end of his career. Right, which is fascinating. He plays Ming the Merciless at one point. Ugh. But he did a really <laughs> good job of, like, in The Seventh Seal, uh, the knight who plays chess with death. That's probably the most famous image that mm, people, mm-hmm. you know, that has made its way into the cultural, uh, uh, film culture, rather, mm-hmm. is that that man who's always sort of uh, on the edge of a precipice. And I've, some of the other films I've seen, he's actually very good at yeah. playing that kind of guy. So I think that's the reason why he got cast. He got cast, okay. Yeah, because it's, it's but very yeah, you're right. His physicality, these early scenes, he's on a dig in Iraq. Iraq, yeah. Northern Iraq. Mm-hmm. And he fa- finds a little, a little thing, like a little stone talisman. Mm-hmm. And then later, he has a vision where there's a big version of it. Right. And... It's like 15 minutes at the beginning of the movie, uh-huh. and it doesn't come back in any way. Right. <laughs> it, it's a very strange choice. There's a lot Except of... Except there's a line later when he is recommended as uh-huh. um, a person they can call in. Somebody says, I thought he was dig- at a dig in Iraq. That's it. That's right. the, that's and the he's one. based on one of my favorite, uh, although I always, I always mispronounce his name, Teilhard de Chardin, the priest, okay. um, who is an archaeologist, an anthropologist. He was mm. a genius. Uh, the, the phrase "everything that rises must converge" comes from him. Okay, he's, he's a sort of like new evolution theology that he made. He's a brilliant man, so he was based on him. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, he his character is really interesting because we see him for this fifteen minutes at right. the beginning, and then he comes into the exorcism, or he comes in to perform the exorcism, and that's literally like ten minutes. Right. Like, he's not in the movie very much. Well, yeah, which is very odd, because I, I well, don't... And like I said, I uh, had understood, like, I had always presumed that he was the exorcist from the title of the book, mm-hmm. or the movie, well, both. Uh-huh. Um, but that is clearly not the case. We open with him, mm-hmm. but we don't even close with him. Right. He just sort of unceremoniously dies off screen. Yeah. We see his body on screen. Yeah, afterwards. we're not spoiling anything because it's been how many years? We're now? Not, well, we spoil things anyways. That's right. what we do. But also, yeah, we're just gonna. This is what it is. So we have that fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. and then we meet uh, Chris McNeil, who is Ellen Burstyn, who right. is fantastic. We always love her. I feel like the first time I ever saw her was. She was was it her? Hold on. Now I'm afraid of. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. She's stunning now. Yeah, Requiem. So the first time I ever saw her was Requiem for a Dream. Which is an which amazing is a, performance. It is an amazing... There are some amazing performances right. in that movie. Um, the Wayans was a shock to me. I right. was like, this dude's like a real actor. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> they hit you with like, 
Where have you been hiding all that in uh, Dalton's time? She is playing an actress mm-hmm. who is at a job in Washington, D.C., and we see her on set one time, right at the beginning, and then she lives there with her 12-year-old daughter, Reagan, and she is estranged from Reagan's father. And she does try to speak well of Reagan's father to Reagan, but uh, Reagan also overhears her screaming about mm-hmm. him later. Chris McNeil is a Karen. <laughs> She is a person who doesn't understand why she has to wait or doesn't get her way. Right. Uh, we were watching this uh, with our roommate, yeah. who really was interested in watching me watch it yeah. because of the way that I've, I've been avoiding this movie for such a long time. And we had a conversation later about this, and we thought, you know, it's it's weird to think that both of us are almost the same age. But growing up, we just thought that's the way that people acted. Yeah. If you were rich, you were entitled, yeah. and you could do things well, like I that. Well, I mean... And That's it's only what? it's still true. Yeah, I know, but it's well, only think. now that we're we're actually looking at that behavior saying that's wrong. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't just get to be an asshole cuz you have a certain right. amount of money. Like, that's not I mean, to her benefit, she loves her daughter. She her does. S- and she tries to use her careness for good sometimes, right. but sometimes it's like Yeah. You need to like calm your tits a little bit. But then when she's ta- trying to get help for her daughter, I'm like, yeah, be be as caring as you want. I think that's what this film has really good performances. It does, yeah. And it, it's one of the things I didn't expect, and I should have, being that it's a William Friedkin film, this man is very, very good. These are, feel like real people with real lives, and that we're just sort of, this horrible thing is dropped in the middle of them. Yeah. And I, I, I she feels like, an, of course, she is an actress. Yeah, yes, so right. that makes an easy leap, I but guess. But some of the other actors in it, Father Marin and, and Father Karen, they all really feel They're, like the, the people I've met. Yeah. We see sort of from a distance Father Karras. Mm-hmm. He is they're, they're all in Washington D.C. I should I should say the, this movie takes place in Georgetown. I had it in my head that it was New York because of course I did, but mm-hmm. it takes place in Georgetown, and I believe it is filmed in Georgetown. Where most demonic possessions take place. Uh, yes, D.C. And she and there's Father Karras who is a, a priest at, uh, at Georgetown University. He's also a psychiatrist. Right. Uh, he went into the priesthood, and then they paid for his psychiatry right. schooling. And when asked later by Chris, you know, what's where where he went to school, he's like, he says something like, Harvard, John, Johns Hopkins, places like that. And it's like, okay. He's very offhanded about it. Like but he's... it's like literally the best education right. you could possibly get. So he is dealing with the fact that he lives far away from his mom, who's in New York. She's ailing. Um, he's Greek. She's Greek. We we get a lot of Greek for mm-hmm. one scene, uh, although it sounded like Italian and then Latin and then Spanish, and then we find out she's Greek, and we're like, what the fuck is going on? And she has it's injured like her leg. Like the Pentecost, when all people spoke in many languages. She's injured her leg, and he goes, and he's like, you can't go up and down the stairs, you have to take care of yourself, and then he gets called later to see her in the hospital because uh-huh. she has been moved to um, a convalescent home, basically, because she had fallen and was basically on the ground for two days before anybody mm. found her. This is in the pre-life alert. Right. She had fallen and she could not get up. Nope. And there was no way to call help. Uh, and then we don't see her pass, but we know that then she has passed. So he is dealing with the guilt associated with not being there for her. And he has all. He also admits to one of the other priests that he is. He doesn't believe he has any faith at this right. point. Now, there's a weird thing with his character, which is 
when he goes to see his mother, he's there with his uncle, his mother's brother, and who point blank is like, well, if you weren't a priest, you could be, you know, a high a high earning right. psychiatrist in the on the Upper West Side, and we could pay for everything for your mom. And I was like, well, if he has lost his faith and he's concerned about his mom. Why isn't he becoming a high-end psychiatrist? Because he absolutely right, yes. would be able to do he that. He would be able to do that. Um, Johns Hopkins and Harvard. Right. <laughs> like, he has, a, And he could pay the church back. Because that's, uh, as I said, uh, I have a friend who studied to be a Jesuit. and his, uh, He talked to us about the, the, the kind of uh, training that they went through. And he goes, yeah, they will pay for your education. Mm-hmm. They, have the, they will pay for your education. They have the right to ask you to pay for it back if you decide not to join the priesthood. Right. Uh, but it's at the but discretion sort of, like the, of the church or sort the of, oh, okay. administrators of the church. So sort of like AmeriCorps or whatever, where they'll mm-hmm. pay for your... Or there, there are certain programs where you can get your student loans or whatever deferred mm-hmm. if you teach in certain areas for a certain oh, amount of time. Yeah. yeah. It's very so, much like that. So that kind of thing. But he's also... He's in his 40s. Right. He's probably been with the church over a decade. I feel like... They'd knock some of that cost yeah. off. I think that in his case, his issue is he's listening to... He, he talks about the sort of like um, the difference between being a priest and being a, psychi- a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. psychiatrist, psychiatrist. Right. He went to full-on medical school. Right. Yeah. Uh, he says that later on when someone's asking, I think it's the police chief that's uh, played by... Uh, or the, the investigator? Yeah, Lee J. Cobb. Lee J. Cobb was great in this part. Yeah. And he says, well, if uh, somebody confesses to me something that I did, that they did wrong, if they tell me as a psychiatrist, yes. If they tell me as a priest, no. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a psychiatrist, if somebody, you know, mm-hmm. says that they've done something wrong, because uh, there had just been a case where right. a psychiatrist had been jailed for not sharing that information with the police, and as a parting sort of shot... Harris puts his hand on the detective's mm-hmm. arm and he's just like, I could just say it was confession. <laughs> and just walks away because that you yeah, cannot. Yeah, that's that is, yes. uh, We should mention that the scenes we see of Karras, he, he's uh, Damien Karras. He's a very interesting per- character in that he seems to have been an athlete when he was younger. He's a boxer. Yeah, yes. Um, and we see him, apropos of nothing, just when he, after visiting he's his mom. He's upset, yeah. He's upset. He starts punching the heavy bag and all. Yeah. And um, also, his roommate, he lives in a... Uh, th- that's one Is of it the his more... roommate? I think it's just one of the other. I mean, well, Father it, Dyer, I think right. he, didn't, he didn't stay with him. I think they just have those little cubby yeah. rooms that the priest It's, it's has. like a big dorm. Yeah. And Father Dyer, who's played by an actual priest, Father William O'Malley. Really? Yeah. There were several actual priests that were used in the production. First, as they consultants. have their whole outfits. They don't. Have, oh yeah, cons- I guess that and makes as consultants. Sense. And then William Friedkin, like uh, the woman who plays Damien's uh, father, Damien's mom, uh-huh. was just a woman he met in a Greek restaurant in New York. Oh, nice. And so he does stuff like that. Yeah. And that's something that we saw with the French Connection too. If he saw a great face, he'd, he'd just or, put or him if in. Yeah. Every if someone's able to carry out a bit for that contributes to the film, he'll do that. Yeah. So, um, so there's several priests that the yeah. th- that are in the film, but that actor isn't really an actor; he's an actual. Oh, that's funny. He's very person good. Service. Oh yeah, and um, he's a kind of a character too. Yeah. So uh, they sort of link up because Chris mm-hmm. has a party uh, with all of her Hollywood friends, and Father Dyer is there. Yeah, he's there uh, because the they were shooting at. Oh, at Georgetown, right? And he's a priest at Georgetown. Right. That's the thing. 
so is Father Karras. He is the psychiatrist to the priest at Georgetown University. But he seems to be gloomier, because Father Dyer is a cheerful, happy guy who likes show show tunes, (laughs) likes playing the piano, gather everyone around, and blah, blah, blah. That's what he says. His idea of heaven is basically like a... Oh, all white nightclub where everybody right. like he's on stage all the time and everybody cheers for him and loves him. That's right. that's what his version of heaven. And is. when we say all white, it means not like not no. Everyone's dressed in like white. everyone's dressed in white, or it's or like clouds. a white marble. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> heaven was still puffy clouds. And at that party is the first time we sort of see Reagan have mm-hmm. an issue. And that issue right. is she comes downstairs. Mm-hmm. There's an astronaut there, and. His father Dyer wants to go with him so he could be the first priest on the moon or whatever, uh, or on the on Mars, I think he says. And Reagan comes down in her pajamas and says, "You're gonna die up there," uh-huh. and then urinates on the floor. And Chris like rushes her away, apologizes to everyone, gives her a bath, puts her back in bed, and then uh, at the end of that party. Is that when she asks, at some point she asks Father Dyer about the priest that she keeps seeing? Yeah, who she asks him at the party. Fa- it is That's at one the party. Of the, 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 uh, Which is weird. I'm like, things. why do you Well, she saw him about... when she was coming off the set. She uh-huh. saw this, you know, very intense, because he's, he he's very just intense. very kind of joyless, this yeah. guy. Uh, um, well, he's having a rough time. <laughs> right. And that's also the first time that you hear that the mother died. Yes, he's that's like, yeah, true. he's recently had a really tough. That's right. In the past. Yeah. Um, at the same party, we get the director, who is Burke. played by Jack McGowan, McGowan, who was one of the muses for Samuel Beckett, the playwright. It was Billy Whitelaw, and and Jack McGowan was I don't remember if he was Vladimir Estragon and one of the very if not the person who started the role, one of those two roles for mm-hmm. um, Waiting for Godot. He just plays this real prick. <laughs> yeah, he's a monster. And Reagan thinks that Chris is going to marry him because uh-huh. she likes him a lot. I'm like, I don't think she likes him like that. No, he, he they, they have a, But he's the director, so she's got two German be, house servants. Yes. Or two, I guess. And they have Kitty Wynn, who is an actress I always liked, although she doesn't get to do much in this film, is playing like... Sort of like a nanny. Nanny, tutor, something yeah. maybe for, yeah. for Reagan. Because... Chris will work long nights, but apparently. We only see her working that one day, then she stays at home because things are right. happening. But yeah, the director is like antagonizes their German um, housekeeper well, that's horribly. Right. Like, I there's a whole scene where he's in the kitchen calling him a him? Nazi. I thought he, that was another guest. I didn't realize that it was. Yeah. He's not even German. No, he's Swiss. That's the thing. He says, He's I'm him, Swiss. Right, a Nazi. In and life. then he, yeah, and then he goes on and calls him a Nazi, and then, yeah, he attacks. Him. Right. And that's sort of the end of the party. <laughs> and also Reagan has had this right. episode. So that at the, that's the end of the party. And then Reagan keeps sort of deteriorating. Right. She's getting violent. She undergoes a bunch of tests. They don't find anything, like medical tests. Mm-hmm. They did like spinal taps and like we see them putting contrast into our neck to get a like a brain we we were trying to figure out like, what are they doing to her? Cerebral angiography. Yeah, and geography. Um, and geography. <laughs> and, yeah, and I was like, I guessed, I was like, I think they're putting some sort of dye mm-hmm. so that they can image her brain, because they didn't have MRIs in 1973, right. right? But all of these doctors are like, no, it's a physical thing. You don't even have, you don't go to a psychiatrist. Right. It's a physical thing. It's a physical thing. And, but they can't find what that physical thing is. 
And then all the psychiatrists are like, yeah, you got to put her away in, for, for observation for six months. And she's like, that's what? <laughs> you can't tell me what's wrong with her. You just think I should just put her like in a closet for six months and she'll get better. So she seeks out Father Karras and she asks him what, what it would take to get an exorcism. Right, because the psychiatrist suggests exorcism is a placebo. Which is, it'll work because people believe it'll work. Yeah. Now, at this point... Here's the thing about a placebo, though. Right. It's the same as the like psychosomatic thing. If it works, right. it works. The end. I think, and there's a lot of subtlety to the characters in this film, which I appreciate. I think the psychiatrist, having seen enough of what's going on, is beginning to go... I don't want to do this. I right. can't do this. Maybe I don't have you any should consider this, you know, nudge, nudge. Uh, because yeah. this is beyond what we're doing. Because the first time we see mm-hmm. anything actually happening, the bed is moving all around. Right. And it's like they're like trying to tell her it's a seizure. And she's like, no, it's not. But because they didn't see it. Right. Oh, the yeah. before she goes out to Karis, Chris is out. I think it might be the night she talks to Karis mm-hmm. and says, can you come? And she, I think she needs an exorcist. Da, 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 da. And he's like, I can come as a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And she like freaks out at him. Like, you can, no, I want to, I want you to come as an, you know, as a mm-hmm. priest. And I'm like, well, if he comes as himself, mm-hmm. he's coming as both. When he sees what's happening, right. he will land on one or the other side, maybe right in the middle, but probably not. So just let, stop freaking out. And if he says he'll come, let him come. Like, calm down. But she goes back home. She had left, Burke, Burke was, had come, well, no. She left their nanny to, yeah. to stay, and she wasn't there. And, and she sees, like, some police stuff as she's driving home. The nanny's not there when she gets home, and Reagan is alone. She's passed out. Uh, in her bed, but she can't find her. I think her name was Sharon. She starts running around, and then Sharon comes home, and she says, oh, I'm so sorry. I I had to go get the Thorazine, which is the fact that she's on Thorazine and still behaving like this is mm-hmm. wild, because that is a very strong drug, especially for a small person. I left Burke, and then they find out I left Burke here with her, and she, he must have left, which is wild. And then the next day, Another person from the film uh, comes over and says, oh, you must have heard, because Chris looks like trash because mm-hmm. her daughter is like right. spiraling out of control. And she says, what? Uh, heard what? And Burke had died. And he had died on this staircase next to their house. Um, and his head, we found out later, is has been turned all the way around, like 180, right. facing the wrong way. And then we get the introduction of the police detective. Yeah, so uh, Lee J. Cobb comes in, and he doesn't know what's up, but he doesn't trust these people at all. And the the stairs start, like the the beginning of the stairway at the top starts right below Reagan's window. Mm -hmm. So he thinks that he he came out of that window. He can't prove it. So he's he wants to talk to Reagan, but Reagan's not doing well, and Chris is like, you can't talk to her, and she's a child, so yeah, that's right. And finally, Chris gets Karis to come over, mm-hmm. and at this point, Reagan has, like, there's been poltergeist-like activity with stuff flying around the room. Uh, Reagan has been tied to the bed, uh, and the bed is, like, fully padded out, because mm-hmm. she has, like, a wooden bed frame. Right. They've padded it and, like, sort of tied 
sheets and pillows around the edges because she was either hurting herself or hurting others with it. She has, at this point, stabbed herself in the vagina with a crucifix. Mm-hmm. And at one point, too, she, like, lifts her dress up and yells, lick it, lick it, to her mm-hmm. mom, and then shoves her mom into her bleeding... Right. That's, that's uh, the same, like... Pubic area. I'm it's, like, holy shit. Yeah. That really took me out of it. Like, okay, yeah. Yeah. I almost asked you, like, stop for a second. I need to digest what I just saw, because everything there was wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not a great deal that was not shot with actual 12-year-old Linda Blair or however old she was. Yeah. And the double was used for scenes like, you know, shoving Ellen Burstyn's face into her bleeding, you know, crotch. It was shocking to me. Yeah. It, there's scenes here that still... That is the one thing that I don't think I I knew about was the lick it, lick it thing. Mm-hmm. Like he, she, like, I think it's after that scene, actually, that she goes and finds Karis. Right. She's like, I, this is not right. my daughter. There's, a, there's um, the angiography scene also... Uh, angiography, I'm yeah, sorry. that's fine. The angiography scene also seems to like... Was something that you don't see a lot of people talk about. Yeah, in terms because, of, yeah, there, there's like blood spurting out of right. her neck. And, but it's like... It's not out of the ordinary. Right. For the, like, this is what happened this during is what this happened procedure. At this time, when you did this procedure, I'm sure things are better now. Hopefully, right? Maybe not though. So at that point, Karis comes and sees what's going on, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think she's very far gonna gone do it. Point. Yeah, her face. So this is where her makeup comes in. So the first time you start seeing that she's not doing well, she's like white like uh-huh. they 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 make her very white and then she's got big bags like deep uh-huh. darkness um under her eyes and in her cheek like the hollows of her cheeks and then she starts and i have trouble with this the makeup is they're adding on to her face at this point right so so that they can have these cuts in her skin so she looks very puffy the skin is like a green color yeah that makes me just go She's, it think, looks like she's wearing a mask, I, which in 1973, I'm sure, was right. one thing. 50 years later, it is I a different I think what he thing. was going for was that he wanted her to look, and she does, look like something, a body that you find underwater. Yes. Like it's been puffy and bloated, yeah. and it's been there for a while, and it's covered yeah. with all these scratches, because uh, during some of these demonic attacks, you actually see scratches just appear. Just appear on her legs, on her right. arms. She scratches at herself, but also her skin just bursts. Right. Yeah. At that point... Karis goes to the church and is mm-hmm. like, um, how do exorcism though? And the church is like, yeah, that's not a thing that we do, really. Yes. After, which is what he had told right. um, to, told Chris, too. I like, think the convincing factor for him is when he takes back to Father Dyer recordings he's taken of the yes. voice. Who's played, the voice is Mercedes McCambridge. Yeah, the voice that is coming out of... in uh, Touch of Evil. Yeah. Uh, she has a great voice, and she really... It sounds like it would hurt. Like, the yeah. way that the gravel that is put into the voice, right? She's not saying these... Uh, Linda Blair mm-hmm. is not... It's not her voice. Right. So we have this other voice, and she is speaking, and it turns out she's speaking English, but she's speaking it back, backwards. backwards. Yeah. And she calls out Father Marin, which right. he doesn't realize that's what it's, he's saying, or she's saying at that point, because he doesn't know who Father Marin is, but it's just Marin, 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 and then and at that point, he reaches out to the church, and he's like, "You gotta, we gotta, we gotta do a thing." And they were like, "Okay, well, do you want to be there?" And he's like, "Yeah, I know the case, so I do want to be there." And they're like, "Well, you can't do it yourself because you've never done it before, right?" So, what if we get this 
this priest, Father Marin, that's when we hear, oh, I thought he was in Iraq. Mm. No, he's back. He's writing a book up in Maine or whatever. Uh, and then he comes down. He, he, they said the last time he did this was 12 or 13 years ago. It was a young boy. It took months and it almost killed him. And I'm like, well, I'm sure he's going to be thrilled to get your coffin. <laughs> like, uh, and we know that he's got heart problems because we see him taking nitroglycerin. I think a number of times we see it in the beginning, mm -hmm. and we see it a couple of times. During the exorcism, during he the excuses exorcism, himself yeah. very politely to go take some drugs, <laughs> tablets to keep his heart going. Yeah. So at that point, when Marin gets there, uh, Harris is like, well, you know, do you want to get ready? Do you want to set up or whatever? And Marin's like, why? <laughs> he just is like, let's go. He says, I need X, Y, and Z. He needs a cassock. He needs the purple mm -hmm. thing, the purple scarf he says what it is but i forgot some so he says some holy water and i'm like like all of it though <laughs> um and that's what stephanie had said too was like if holy water is so effective and it is like when he right. sprays it on her she's like it burns it burns and that's what gets her to speak right not in tongues but you know right. to do the backward speech um she's like why don't they just like put an iv of holy water <laughs> into her and i was like I'm pretty sure that would kill the host, and right. I think what they're trying to do is not kill the host. Uh, but we don't, we don't know. But yeah, it's just like she's in. A, she has got an IV because she's not eating, mm -hmm. uh, and the IV is made of glass because it it falls. So they start doing the ritual. Starts with the Our Father, and then the bed starts shaking. Karis is told, "Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. It's going to lie to you. Um, it'll t it'll lie and take the truth and twist them." to try and get to you and it does that's uh, the your mother your mother sucks cocks in hell and then it does her voice does his mother's voice like you left me how did you leave me and then he starts yelling at you you're not my mother you're not my mother and it's like you gotta get out of here like you are not handling this well and it's i think it's right then too that the bed like elevates uh -huh. up like four feet up yes, off the ground <laughs> at which Karis, at which point Karis is finally like Oh no! This is like legitimately not this girl. Well, how did you put it when you saw the, the you were when we were watching it? You're like, oh, this is more. I thought that. How did you put it? Like his thought process was, this isn't a metaphor, or what did you? Say? Uh, yeah, it was. It was like that. Like, I thought that this was figurative. Right. All there of we this go. is all of faith and right. and all, what we believe and demons and angels and all that is figurative and all of a sudden it's no, literal. It's not. <laughs> it is real and it is happening in front of you. So whatever your crisis of faith was, it's sort of like the opposite of that. It's uh -huh. not oh I've lost my faith, it's oh <laughs> I've under I now understand what faith actually is uh -huh. and now I'm like in it. And it hurts a little like it. <laughs> and we do we should say at the same time, the detective is sort of nosing around. He's like he right. sees Reagan in the as a silhouette in the room at some point, which is weird because she's taped to the bed or like tied to mm. the bed. He's asking he, he he's talking to Chris, he's talking to Father Karras. He believes that Reagan pushed this man out of her room. At the same time conceding to Chris that the man's head being turned all the way around, it would require a really strong yeah. man to do that. He cares. He talks yeah. to Karis about that. He doesn't tell Chris about but, it. Um, the issue being then, who's up there? It's like he believes that maybe somebody else is in the house. Right, because he hasn't yeah. been in there. Right. He hasn't seen her, because right. you don't let a cop into that. No. 
God, that would be a horror movie. Possessed cop. Yeah. And then, then the power of Christ compels you. Mm-hmm. He says that they 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 get on the same page and they say that like fifteen times. This so is like, when Regan is now floating. Yeah, she's lift. She her, just herself has like broken her bonds, uh-huh. and yeah, is lifted up not on the bed off the ground, but just off of the bed. And then yeah, but they say the power of Christ compels you a whole bunch. And then they kind of go, let's take a break. Like she comes back down, and they're like, let's let's break. And that's when. Marin goes to take his nitroglycerin again, and he comes back and Karis is in the room with her, and that's when she has taunted him with his mother. Right. And she, yeah, Marin comes back in and continues. Karis is sitting out on the stair- steps, and then he goes back in. They hear something, uh-huh. and he goes back in, and Marin is dead on the ground. He uh-huh. has had a heart attack, and... Oh, I think Chris is like, is she going to die? And he's like, no, we're going to save her, which... Right, you can't make that Stop guarantee. doing that. <laughs> don't, do, don't do that. And but, yeah, when then Karis, yeah, yeah, takes her, like, pulls her up off the bed, throws her on the ground, and just starts hitting her. He, he's a boxer. He's not right. hitting her softly. He's hitting her hard and then starts yelling, um, come in, like, he's choking her, and he's like, come into me, come into me, get, you know, come into uh-huh. me, um, which is the thing you're not do. No, he takes the place of a Gadarene swine. And yes, exactly. And at that point, Reagan rips or whatever is possessing Reagan, uh-huh. which is said it's the devil. Right. Uh, pulls off the. It's a Saint Joseph's medal. It turns mm-hmm. out that keeps showing up off of him, and then enters Karis. At which point, Karis like has the green eyes. I think the eye effect on her is very cool. Also, there's an effect where there's the face over, like uh-huh. the the imposed face over the face of Reagan that we've been seeing, which is a very cool effect, especially for then. Like, I feel like that would have been the thing that scared me in the, in the theater. And he uh, stands up and throws himself out the window. Onto the same stairs. Onto the same stairs, falls down the stairs, and is dying at the bottom of the stairs. He's not dead yet. And Father Dyer runs up to him and asks if he wants... Or basically, we the last. Well, rights. he holds on his hand, and he does. And just like starts like that. He's so far gone. Yeah, Karis and he says, point. "Do you want? Do you want right. to? Uh, do you apologize for all your your mm. sins, your earthly sins, or whatever it is?" And then, um, Karis like very weakly squeezes, squeezes his fingers. So, guess that's good. And then cut to. Now, at that point, we should also mention Detective Kinderman oh. runs upstairs. Yeah, and he's like. What the hell is going on here? There's like a two dead priests and a girl. And Reagan is curled up in the corner yelling, Mother, Mother, Mother. Like she is crying and she's back in her own voice. Right. Uh, Covered in vomit and scars. Yeah, but not not nearly as many scars as she had had before. It kind of settles out of her. Uh, Like everything that was inflicted suddenly on her Mm -hmm. is gone. She's still bruised up and stuff, but she's not, because she just got her ass kicked by a a boxer priest and then yeah we cut to the last scene with chris packing up the house like they're Uh leaving and uh father dyer comes to say goodbye at which and and chris says she doesn't remember any of it and he's like that's probably (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then she comes out she's a little bruised up but she's like she's looks clearly Mm -hmm. like she's healed it looks like maybe three or four weeks have gone by and she, even though she doesn't remember, she sees the collar on Father Dyer and she goes up and she kisses him on the cheek. And then they get in the car. And before they leave, Chris has 
the St. Joseph's medal that they still had in the room and gives it to Father Dyer. And then he looks at it, and then he looks at the stairs where he, you know, that, that everybody has fallen down, and then he goes away, and that's the end of the movie. Then you hear Christopher Pederecki's music, <laughs> your favorite, and uh, some red. The the credits are in red, red on black, yeah. and it's very good. And that's it. That's the whole so movie. What did you feel about the film? Was it thrilling? Did it? <laughs> it suffers from me having seen all right. of the. It suffers key from being what, fifty years ago. Fifty. Yeah. Uh, over the last fifty years, right? Like just cultural osmosis uh-huh. in things where it's like. Because we watch countdowns of things like mm-hmm. the hundred scariest moments on, right. you know. So I'd seen all of the big things except the Licket thing because mm-hmm. they're not going right, to they're they're put, that, put that in a, in a Bravo TV series or whatever. Um, but all of the other ones, I was just like, like it's, at one point I was like, all we have left is your, your mom's ice cops in hell. And then like three minutes later we got it. And I was like, check. <laughs> it was like it was like exorcism bingo, mm-hmm. and I was expecting there to be more than that, mm-hmm. and there wasn't. What there was was way more on the younger priest, Father Karras, who I didn't even know his name right. before. You know, before this watch, I knew there was Max Vancito and another one, but it's the other one right. that we follow through the whole thing. So that was interesting to me. I also didn't expect it to be so beautiful, like yeah. freaking makes good-looking movies. It's a good-looking movie. Sans blood and vomit. The other thing is the vomit. It's so green. Like, it's it looks like Slimer. Like, it's so green. Well, and, and also, when it right. happens, okay. she's already got some on her shirt or uh, on her nightgown. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, well, that's for, for, you know, like a little bit of a foreshadow. Granted, in 1973, if I saw this movie in the theater, mm-hmm. I would not have thought right. that that was foreshadowing. Um, but because you know that's an iconic scene, you're like, oh, here it is. It's, yeah. it's going to happen right now. So the fact that I knew all of the big beats really detracts from the thrill of it, I would say. Um, but I think at the time, yeah, this movie probably would have scared me. Would it have like upset me the way that people were like, vomiting and no i don't think so it does it's not i would say on a horror scale i'm not even going to talk about 1973 horror because i don't i haven't seen enough to be able to make a sort of an informed rating but at a horror movie today it's a four Mm. right like the saw movies are so much worse even Mm. the first one which was the least worse of them you know what i mean the torture porn that we see the you know it's horror has got ramped up so much uh, like i think probably the new exorcist has probably 15 times the amount of things in it which might not that not necessarily a good thing right because it's you start getting desensitized when you're like okay every three minutes something and that might be why this one is not going to be as effective for you because we've become desensitized yeah, yeah no i would agree to that yeah. i don't like like, I do think it belongs on the list. I don't know that it belongs this high. But that's not its fault. That's culture's fault in over 50 years. Right. It, but it surprises me. We're going to have me. something similar with Jaws, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I've also seen Jaws already. Yeah, it's been dulled 
considerably yeah. by everything that's come after there's, it. There's a whole genre genre of films. Every time on my face falls. I know. Uh, that feature exorcisms. We saw The Pope's Exorcist, The Exorcism yeah. of Emily Rose. Yeah. We saw uh, the, the Jewish exorcism film, which is the... Uh, oh, the box one. The wine box film. I, I, I like that one, too, because you don't get to see exorcisms in other cultures so much. Yeah, I um, like that, too. And the... Uh, so, anyhow, it's, it's a whole set of films that this started. And uh, The Right is another one, which is actually fairly good. But I think that they all borrow scenes from here. So I've seen other actors play these same scenes. Uh, having seen the film now in its entirety, I I don't the know... Possession if, is right. the name of it. I knew Modis Yahoo was in it, so I had to look up. <laughs> I don't know... If, here's my conflict. The film was much, much better than I thought it needed to be. And well, yeah. that comes from the fact that uh, the, the writer who used to write uh, like the Pink Panther movies for Blake Edwards, he stuck with the production and stayed with it so that he could help produce the film himself at the, to uh, a ridiculous extent. And he wound up getting into conflicts with William Friedkin. And, and then they this wound is up... the danger of having the writer overly involved. Right. Like, I'm for writers being involved, mm -hmm. but at some point they've got to let it go and have it be the well, director's movie. In this case, it worked out for the best because there were people who were willing to do watered-down versions of it, and he really wanted to preserve... His whole idea... Or rather, let me go back a bit. What I like is that the writer's idea got preserved, which is he didn't see this as a horror film. He saw this as a person reclaiming their faith, which is very yeah, much what for it sure. is. Yeah, for sure. And I guess people thought that this was a film where it showed evil overcoming good, which uh -huh. I, I would argue that is not the case. Right. Now, the problem with that, of course, is the Catholic Church, the suicide as a sin, is what he did suicide. Right. Well, he got his last rites, so I guess it's okay. Right, he's been absolved. Good thing is, Father Dyer was just hanging out. <laughs> I, I wonder if they insisted on that. It's like if the priest jumps out the window. Yeah, right. That's... And again, Explicitly I, I don't know what the rules are in terms of doing something heroic and self-sacrificing. Right. Which like, is, was he supposed to Because just... at one point, he's lurching over. And again, that's what I'm appreciating about the movie now. As I said, I don't know if I'm ever going to see it again, because it's just really, at times, repulsive. Um, but there's a moment when he gets possessed, and he's lurching over Reagan, mm -hmm. like yeah. he's going to kill her, yeah. because that's what it was wanted to do this whole time. Yeah. And that's when he decides to throw himself through the window. Yeah. Because he he's, have... There's enough of him left right. before he is totally subsumed yes. so that he's got to bounce. And that's the thing. Like, yeah. do you want a possessed priest walking around? Right. Like, what are his options now? Here's his options. Don't do that. Right. You're not supposed to take the well, thing into you. And that's kind and of... And do they... Do, is that where... Because that happens... Like, that... Trope? Yeah. It becomes happens, a trope. Yes. Happens after that. Is this the first time? I mean, yes. there's the Bible. Well, there's the, well, <laughs> there's the, story, the story of the Bible about Jesus turning the, the, the Giving it to a pig. To, to and these pigs, pig. and then these pigs run in. The pigs run off and jump in the ocean. Oh, do they? Or see and drown themselves. Because they're like, I didn't want to be in a pig. Right. That, <laughs> so that um, that's what he's doing. But at the same time, as we pointed out when we're watching the movie, he does it out of a sense of, I have no idea how to control this. I have right. no idea how to stop this. Yeah. And the guy who knew how to do it... Is dead. Is dead. Yeah, that's the thing. Yes. He walks into the room and he's like, well, it's up to me now right. and I don't... And what triggers I him is that 
Reagan starts tittering to herself, like the possessed Reagan is like yeah, she's over in the hands. corner of the bed, uh-huh. like curled up, and yeah, basically mocking him. And he knows he's like and I, I cannot overcome this. So he's gonna just do something wild out of left field of it. But um, so I really I appreciate the fact that it invested so much time with the character that you I some like uh, someone like. Um, like Chris, who I don't think that I would like Mm-mm. in real, but watching her suffer and watching the extent that she's trying to get yeah. desperately. And the fact that she really does love right. her daughter and care Those about her. Those scenes are really well done. And I'm, I'm like right at the beginning, uh, you see her like, you know, loving on her, right. taking care of her, uh, indulging her art, not that it's bad, but like right. really supporting what she likes to do. You know, making plans because it's going to be her birthday, and so they're making plans together. Like, she's clearly a good mother. Mm-hmm. She's just kind of a shitty person outside right. of that. She's just, she's really protective of her daughter. Yeah. Um, and I think that the Linda Blair, I think, got a she got a raw deal with the rest of her career. That yeah. She's always going to be remembered as the woman who was vomiting. It's funny when I. When I, we're watching her at one uh, point, she's like, I think it's right after she's urinated and she's being put uh-huh. to bed by, by Chris after she's been bathed. And she's like looking up and Chris is like, you know, brushing her hair out of her face and whatever. And I'm like, it's weird because I could see adult Linda Blair in yeah. this child, which of course, of course I can. But it was like this weird, like sometimes you look at an adult and you can see the child that they were. Yeah, is the weird opposite of that. Um, but yeah, I think she was also really good. She, every, she went through everyone, a lot. Everyone's performance here was really good, even the priest. I uh, the I I don't know if I mentioned it last time we talked about William Friedkin, who's kind of he did things everything from manipulating the actors, like not telling them when this spot of vomit was going to be shot into their face. Yeah, that's why. It's going to land on your chest and then you shoot into their face and that's where you yeah. get this look of disgust. Yeah. Or... Yeah, at, at, we see it, at the, we see her do it a couple of times mm-hmm. and once is when uh, Marin is there right at the beginning right. and he just takes off his glasses and wipes them off and she was keeps a going with the prayer. It was, uh, it was really, he was just like, I don't, I don't, whatever you do to me, I'm not right. letting it in. But that's the thing, like, I expected the exorcism to go on longer than three hours, which I, is maybe what it was. I, I think that... Time was weird in this movie, though. Right. I don't know how long... We, I don't know how many days this goes we don't, on. Yeah, we don't know. It goes on for a while. Sure. Because we know that um, she goes through any number of procedures, and we see these procedures, and it's really horrible watching tiny little Linda Blair being poked in the neck, and then that weird robot machine that's yeah. sort of scanning her and they, brain. And they did that. I thought that they were going to give her electric shock therapy, electric shock therapy. Well, at one point someone the... brings it up. And she does, I think, what's still shocking to me is the language. Yeah. It's really like seeing that come out of her mouth. Yeah. And also scenes like the scene with the crucifix, or there's a, another yeah. scene early in the film where somebody desecrates a statue of Mary. That's right. And it was like, oh, God. You know? yeah. <laughs> you only see it very briefly, right. but that was the thing. Like, um, is the, the detective is also looking at that, mm-hmm. and then the death of this right. man, and then um, and he's like, okay, could there be like Satanists right. involved? And that is at least squashed. Like, we don't get a weird little satanic panic right. sort of side quest. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have well, to deal there, with that. There's, 
So as I was saying, uh, with the director, mm -hmm. there's a very uh, funny story. Well, not funny for everyone, I suppose, but the scene where uh, Father Dyer, who's again an actual priest, is administering last rites to his friend, his best friend in the seminary, uh, where he's administering last rites and he's not, as an, because he's not really an actor, able to emotionally pull on this after uh, the, the takes weren't going well, goes to Father O'Malley and says, Father, do you love me? And it's like, of course, son. It's like, so you love me and you trust me. He says, yes, of course, Billy. <laughs> Good. Slap. Slaps him right across the face. And this is the dire? Dire. Okay. And then he's shocked. He says, okay, roll. And then he delivers that very emotional scene where he's giving last rites. Oh, like he to, just couldn't get he there. He couldn't because... pull it out because... But because what Friedman wanted from him is, I need you to be to shocked that shock you just this thing. This is your friend, and he's yeah. dying. And, yeah, and he does. He does a really great job, and then he runs and apologizes to him. Yeah. I'm so so sorry. <laughs> you know, you know, Mary Philip Pace Lords. Right? You know? <laughs> yeah, like how many times do I need to? Uh, yes, I will do that. But that, and I think the other thing that we brought up too is that uh, the refrigerated room that they shot the exorcism in. Yes, the it was so cold. Uh, you could see how cold it was, and right. yeah, hopefully she was yeah bundled up because there are plumes of breath coming yeah. out of everybody in that. The, the, so it's uh, overall, I think the movie was much better than I thought it was going to be, but it really is just exhausting. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it's I don't just, have the uh -huh. the religious compunction mm -hmm. that you do, so. I'm like, well, don't do that with a crucifix. That's, right. But also, don't do that with your vagina. Like it's it's bad on both sides. So it, you know, that that doesn't bother me as much. But right, yeah. But also, fifty years, fifty years. And what's what's interesting too is that these scenes were shot in broad daylight. Those scenes, the early scenes, um, where she's doing really outrageous and horrible things, uh, or rather, she's this being is possessing Reagan to do it were shot in very broad, flat, broad daylight. So there was no, up until the end, you get the exorcism that takes place at night. But before that, it's just presented very matter-of-factly. Uh -huh. And the cinematography, which is lovely and very crisp, it's like, oh my God, I haven't seen a movie nowadays that looks this good, presents it almost as if you're just watching it happen. And it's not until the end that you get the the full-on, weird, gloomy atmosphere and the, the stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh Yeah. It, it was a lot more impressive, but boy, it's it's hard to take. And to think that at the time, most people's exposure, people who weren't into the genre, people mm -hmm. who weren't watching the Hammer films or weren't familiar with Mario Baba, right? Right. That their experience of horror movies was Bela Lugosi. Right. Yeah, 40 it's years not, earlier it's or not something. this. It's not, and it's, this yeah. just jumped everything. I have yeah. a book right here on my shelf, The Horror People, by John Brosnan. And it... It's interviews with directors, and it was took place directors and actors and performers who do horror, and this is right after The Exorcist, and they all have like these contributions they make, saying, "I think that went too far," or um, it also it, it was really good, but it was too much. It yeah. puts the horror down the street. Mm -hmm. It's not right on another on an island out somewhere. It's not a mm -hmm. hundred years ago. It's today. And it's right down the street. That's what, and I it's think. happening to a white family, right? Like, 
I think this is what, too close. What, right? the, uh, what Peter Cushing talked about is that he was always able to get away with doing these films. He said, I didn't feel bad about playing Dr. Frankenstein or something right. because these are horror films and their horror films are more or less fairy tales. They're fantasy for right. all intents and purposes. So it's like this, it takes this, place this takes place in a vague version of years Europe ago or in, Germany. In middle Europe, as right. he used to call yeah. it. Like it's something Karnstein or whatever. Carlsbad, I think, is the. The place where these the Hammer films take place, you're like, where is that? Yeah, it's not, it's not, right. it's not real. It's very yes. much Once Upon a Time in a Land there's Far, Far Away. And there's you know, there's yeah. Dracula lives in a big castle yeah. on the hill, and so does Frankenstein yeah. for that matter. Yeah. And so a lot of those films, they didn't have the immediacy of this thing. Right. And I think that I wonder if the first 15 minutes of the movie were some attempt to make something familiar to audiences before you just shock the hell out of them. Because it really yeah, maybe, is. maybe, because it doesn't. It's very much like The Mummy Returns or something, you know. You're yeah. out in the dig and you find this. And it, in the finished film, it doesn't make any sense. It the just doesn't. It. it doesn't. It doesn't give me any... Right. All I need to know about Marin before he comes in is literally the words mm-hmm. that the priests say. I thought he was in northern Iraq mm-hmm. on a dig. He's not. He's now in upstate and he's writing a new book. I, that's it. That's all I need. I don't need this. I mean, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. As you were saying, you're like, I wonder if these ruins still exist. Right. And I'm like, probably not. And America really... probably dropped 75 bombs on it, and it doesn't, it's not there anymore. The, the Marin character, again, based on, on a real priest, has interesting relationships. Like, he has friends that are yeah. obviously not Catholic. Right, right. Yeah, um, he is accepted into this place. Like, right. there's a point where security guards with guns come yeah. out, and he just, like, waves at them, and they're like, okay. But also, like... He finds this little totem, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have it in the exorcism. It's not brought up by the demon at all. Why does the demon have a name when it's a like? The they say it now that it has a name, well, but at no okay, point so in the thing that they don't it's... say it in the film. Okay, in actual life, the demon that's in the film, right? That you see the statue of when he goes to this ruined city and sees this wing thing. Yeah, it's an actual demon. Oh, it's from, the wing thing. Right. The, okay, that's the... I'm not so, going to... Right. Yeah, no, we don't say the names of <laughs> we demons. We don't say names of demons. Just don't, don't, don't take that chance. Uh, but the thing You can is, Google it. Right. Literally just Google Exorcist Demon and it'll tell you. I'm looking at and, it right now. And so, yeah, uh, I'm not sure why you decided to... Why? I'm not saying you personally. I mean, why the cast and crew of this film decided to actually you know, use an actual demon... As the the figurative demon of their story, um, but it's Mesopotamian demon. Mesopotamian, yes. Uh, and it, uh, it, yeah, I I don't know why you do that. This film had all sorts of issues too during the making of the movie. Uh, it's one of the more infamous quote unquote cursed films that happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's been made rather, and so yeah, I think you, you might want to be careful that. We had a similar thing with uh, discussion with Rosemary's Baby, where yeah, we just don't. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep it in the realm of the fictional, although depending on what you believe, demons are fictional or not. Not, unfortunately. Well, so you say. Uh, okay, so that's going to be the end of our discussion on the Exorcist. He made it through. Are we proud of him? We're proud of him. He did it. Uh, next week, it's a demon of the sea. <laughs> We're watching Jaws. Uh, it's a movie. It's it's Steven Spielberg. And that shark, its name is Bruce. So, 
Oh, Amity Island. Yes. It... I'm going to be called out on the reg. And we know that the mayor of that place is garbage. So, hmm. with that, <laughs> we will be watching Jaws next week. It's number two. We're almost there. Almost to the end. Almost there. Uh, in the meantime, you said you probably don't have anything I to recommend. No, I'm still in shock. I, I recommend <laughs> not sitting at a, a building where your ceiling is falling on you. Which oh, is, yeah. We had a work issue. So, yes, that's what I recommend. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, what do you recommend? I am going to go ahead and recommend a, a show that I have not finished. I'm two from the end, but I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I can confidently say it's good. And that is the Netflix show, The Diplomat. Mm-hmm. It stars Carrie Russell. She is a diplomat. She, she is, at the start of the story, she's supposed to start uh, in Kabul as the U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan. But she is then pulled into being the ambassador to England, which is a very different job. Mm -hmm. And um, she is, you find this out right away, she's married to another ambassador uh, who is not currently an ambassador, and that's played by Rufus Sewell, an actor I very much like, playing, he's not a villain, he usually plays a villain. He's not a villain in this, but he ain't a good guy. Uh, and it's got a bunch of uh, different cool people in it. Uh, Michael McKeon plays the president, which I think is a really fun and interesting thing. Uh, the show, I believe, is eight episodes. It's uh, nominated for some Emmys. So I saw it on Netflix because they had pushed it out to me because it's an Emmy nominee, and the Emmy nominee that I, a nomination that I got was for Carrie Russell. The way he said, yeah, it's almost as if he said, Anemone nominee. But I didn't, I said it right. No, you did. She was, Carrie Russell was nominated for Best Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series, not a like special or mini-series, so maybe that means there's going to be more. Uh, but I was in the mood for a grown-up show. Sometimes I want to watch a show about um, politicians or lawyers or, you know, fixers or something like that. And I was in the mood for a grown-up show. So I started watching it. I got six episodes in in like two days. And then I stopped because I've been doing work. But maybe I'll finish it tonight. Who can say? Uh, but yeah, The Diplomat on Netflix, pretty good if you're in the mood for something a little grown-up. And to watch Rufus Sewell be a little bit of a dick. <laughs> a change of pace for him. <laughs> yes, indeed. So that is it for us this week. As I said before, Jaws next week. That movie's longer than you think it is, so make sure you leave yourself time. If you want to reach out to us, still looking for ideas for the next thing we do, mm-hmm. uh, you can write us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook. There's a fan page and a show page. Whatever you want to do is fine with us. Uh, until next week, um, I hope you have a happy holidays. Christmas has just passed. New Year's is coming up. Uh, so take care of yourselves. I want to remind you to please take your medicine. And we'd like to remind you, better, better late than, than never. never. <laughs>